Oh God, you are worthy to be praised. You are the God of highest heaven, and yet you are also the God who is near to us. You are holy, and yet you dwell with people who are not on their own. And so we praise you that you are worthy to be praised, and you have called us to praise you, to worship you, and to enjoy you. O great God of highest heaven, we pray that you would occupy our lowly hearts, that, that our hearts that can be, become discouraged, that can become fearful, anxious, worried, hopeless, Lord, that you would occupy our hearts in such a way that you lift our eyes to see the Savior, that you cause us to see a God who is not only loving in his expressions of mercy and kindness and patience, but is also a God who is loving in his, his ambition to guard his people's attention, to cause them to have a singular focus out of his love for his glory, which is his jealousy that we're about to dive into this morning. We pray, God, that you would cause us to, to think thoughts that are accurate about you and about ourselves, that you would sanctify us. We know that you are able to, to do in 30 minutes what we could never imagine in 30 years. You are able to sanctify us and to grow us, to get us out of patterns of sin, to give us hope where we feel hopeless, to strengthen us where we're weak. We pray that you would do that for your glory now. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, this morning we continue our series on God's attributes, part two. If you notice in your bulletin, the message is entitled, God the Jealous. God the Jealous. I also want to point your attention to the sermon discussion guide this morning with some questions to help you in your application and your, your follow-up with others on the message as we feast on his word this morning, that we would continue that into the day and the week as well. Well, if you looked up every reference of the word jealous in the Bible as it relates to God, and they made a movie about it, it's not a movie that you would let your kids see. It'd be violent. People would be hanged and left to bake in the heat of the day after they were dead. There'd be plagues that, a plague that wipes out 24,000 Israelites. And in Numbers 25, you would find a gruesome scene of two adulterous people slaughtered for their sin because our God is jealous. No one would imagine a jealous God, especially not a God who would claim that he is jealous. In fact, it's the very reason that Oprah Winfrey abandoned the faith. You can find that recording online. Oprah said that she heard a message where the preacher was saying that God is jealous 
He's jealous for you. He's jealous for your affections. He is a jealous God. And she thought in that moment, I will never serve a God who is jealous of me. As though God has something in us that he should be jealous, that he lacks. She totally confused it. No one would imagine this God. The reality is that there are many gods that we would fabricate in our own minds. And Phil mentioned some of them last week. A God that makes us feel comfortable. A God that we would love to to read about on a greeting card by Hallmark. Ones that sound nice and and make us feel nice and, and cozy. A God that we would love to kind of snuggle up with and be buddies with. A God of love, a God of mercy, patience, attributes like that. Mostly those that in our self-absorption we feel we deserve and are due. These are the attributes of God. This, This is the God that we would fabricate, that we would come up with if it was up to us. But a jealous God, a God who is jealous for His glory, who, who wants nothing more than for his perfections and his attributes to be displayed and enjoyed by everyone in the universe. Every moment of his existence, that is his greatest desire and his passion, is that you and I would know him and adore him and worship him and treasure him for the God that he is. That is what he is jealous for. That is his singular passion. And everything that he does is meant to display his perfections with a heart that is zealous, that is jealous. Jealousy is rarely going to make the top ten list of our favorite attributes of God, is it? If you were to ask someone on the street, what, what, do, you, what do you know about God? What do you like about God? And they would not list, most likely, that God is jealous would they? It sounds contradictory at first, doesn't it? To God is love. God is kind. God is patient. God is merciful. And images, when we hear the word jealousy of an insecure, abusive spouse, easily come to mind, don't they? This person who is so consumed by their spouse's attention only in a selfish, self-gratifying way, That they become murderous and hateful and vengeful and spiteful. But this is not the God of the Bible. But the reality is when we say that God is jealous, it might be tempting to think that we're saying something sinful about God. Because we know that the Bible condemns jealousy as evil And most of our experiences with jealousy in our relationships can lead to destructive anger and rage. In fact, if you turn over with me to James chapter 3, turn there, we see that very thing. The illustrations of jealousy mostly in, in people in the Bible are sad depictions of our sin and our depravity. James chapter 3, verse 14, it says this. 
But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, which he's just talked about, you can't, you can't both have fresh water and salt water in the same body of water. In other words, there, there can't be, someone can't be both righteous and, and acting and living in evil ways at the same time. He says, but if, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. And verse 16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Jealousy in, in our relationships is usually characterized by bitterness, anger, rage. And we think of other examples of sad jealousy like Rachel and Leah. Remember them? And the unthinkable circumstances that they're thrust into. And the bitterness that, that comes about in their lives by the foolishness of sinful men and their families. Genesis 29 and 30. Just, just a reading of Genesis 30 reveals that, that bitterness and sinful jealousy as well as their, their deep anguish and sorrow in their hearts as mothers and as wives. That bitterness and jealousy is preserved even in the names of their children. I think of Joseph's hateful brothers fueled by their jealousy to murder Selling their, their brother, throwing him in a pit. He becomes a slave because of their jealousy. Clearly, our experiences with jealousy are, are, are typically evil and sinful. And so could this, the question is, could this jealousy then be found in God, who we know, is, who we know to be perfectly good? Psalm 34, verse 8 says that the Lord is good. Oh, oh taste and see that he is good. Well, we need to answer that question. Is that jealousy, the kind of jealousy that we just described in those biblical examples, is that the jealousy that God has and experiences? We need to answer that question. And in short, not only is it impossible for, for sinful man to accept the things that God has revealed him about himself, specifically his jealousy, even the most acceptable traits is love and his mercy and his patience. On our own, we don't accept the things about God that he's revealed about himself, as 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, because we can't discern spiritual things on our own. We need the Spirit of God to open our eyes. We can't perceive even the best things about him in an accurate way. We cannot even, we, there's no way we can conceive of a God who would be jealous in any way that would be righteous or good. And so what does this mean? What does it mean that God is jealous? Well, this morning in our, in our series, we're going to see three vivid pictures of God's jealousy. Three vivid pictures of God's jealousy that should cause us to love His glory and live lives that are holy. I've needed this study this week. God's jealousy is an expression of his love for us. Because what is God jealous for but that his people would know him and love him and have their minds and their hearts and their lives fixed and oriented on him so that they could have him, which is the best thing in the world. And if we have him and if we are pursuing him, 
We will love him. And that's what it means to love his glory. We will love who he is. We'll long to know better who he is and to live lives that are holy. And so, brothers and sisters, that's what I want for me. That's what I want for us is that we would love God's glory. We would love who he is more and that we would worship him and live lives that are holy. So, three vivid pictures. But we need to understand what jealousy is. We need a definition of that. To be jealous of someone in our experience, think about when you've experienced jealousy. Have you experienced jealousy, sinful jealousy in your heart? I remember when I was a kid, I would, I would see kids walk in with their fresh new Nikes. And we had five boys and one income and Payless Shoes was our favorite store. And I would see kids walk in with the shoes that when I was at Payless, I was trying to, to mimic. I was trying to find the shoes that looked most like uh, the new pair of Nikes or Allen Iverson's new basketball shoes. I was looking for those shoes that mimicked those ones because I was jealous. I wanted something sinfully that someone else had that I couldn't have. To be jealous of someone in a negative sense, in a sinful sense, is to crave something that someone else possesses, right? We know that. But God is not and cannot be swayed by evil or two evil sinful passions like us. Now God describes himself in passionate ways, in emotional ways like jealous, joyful. He is an angry God over sin. And he's also patient. He's compassionate. He's kind. He's slow to anger. We're going to see next week of God's wrath. But he experiences emotions and feelings, so to speak, in a perfect way at all times in an unchanging way. So what does that mean? That God is always jealous. God is also always joyful. God is always wrathful and angry at sin, and yet he is slow to anger and patient, longing that all men would come to a saving knowledge of Christ. That's unfathomable, isn't it? It is almost impossible for us to begin to wrap our minds around a God who can experience every emotion in a way that is perfect and unchanging at all times. Unbelievable. God is not swayed to evil, sinful passions like ours. Ours are destructive. Think of Proverbs chapter 6, verse 34. Listen to this. For jealousy makes a man furious, and he will not spare when he takes revenge. Are you a furious person? Are you characterized by anger and bitterness? Has jealousy sunk its claws into you? James chapter 3, verses 14 and 16, we read it, but hear it again. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Don't pretend, don't act like you're in the truth if your life is characterized by bitter jealousy and sin. Don't be false to the truth. Because where jealousy and selfish ambition, self-motivated life 
life lives and exists, there will be disorder and every vile practice. When jealousy has made its way into my heart and into my family and into my home, disorder and chaos ensues inevitably. And so there is a a righteous jealousy contrasted with this evil jealousy. There is a jealousy that we're going to see this morning that burns and desires the glory of God for his word and for his worship, which is what we want. We want the Lord to replace sinful jealousy in us with godly jealousy. We want to to be righteous in this way. We want to see jealousy squashed in our souls and exalted in our lives as God is jealous. We want to be jealous for the right things. And we will be when we comprehend and apprehend his jealousy. This is the kind that God has at all times, a jealousy that desires and burns for his glory in our lives. Psalm 69 Verse 9 and verse 119. Listen to this. Psalm 69, verse 9 says this. For zeal or jealousy, it's the same word translated zeal or jealousy, for your house has consumed me. This is David. For the temple, for God's dwelling place, zeal for your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. Do we have zeal for God's house and for his worship and for his glory? Psalm 130, uh, 119 verse 139 says, My jealousy consumes me. Jealousy for what? Because my foes forget your words. Are we jealous that God's people would know his words or that people would know God's word? This is the kind of jealousy that the psalmist speaks of. It's, it's the same language used of Christ when he clears the temple with a whip. You remember that? He, he ties together a whip. In case you were confused that the God of the Old Testament is the angry, jealous God and Jesus is the nice, you know, sweet God of the New Testament. Jesus, what does he do? He takes a whip and he walks into that temple and he clears that place in a second of ungodly, unrighteous, Leaders, he clears the temple with a whip that he made with his own hands out of jealousy, like that text in Psalm 69. So here's jealousy defined. I think this is a helpful definition. God's jealousy could be defined this way. If you're taking notes, here's a helpful definition. His limitless, fervent zeal to glorify himself. In the lives of his people. His limitless, fervent zeal to glorify himself in the lives of his people. This is what it means that God is jealous. He has a passion that is limitless to glorify himself in the lives of his people. That comes from a little book called None Else by Joel Beakey. I think that's a helpful definition for us to remember that God's jealousy is not like our jealousy in our sin. God's jealousy is his desire to glorify himself in your life, brother and sister, in my life. And by application, this is why God disciplines us. This is why God gives us trials even. Because what does his discipline do but create in us 
an understanding that we don't have the answers in and of ourselves. Our attributes are not perfect. We're not strong on our own. We are not the creator. We're the created, and we need the creator. He's jealous for us to acknowledge our need for him, which is the very best thing that he could give us himself as we suffer and as we struggle and as we see our weaknesses. He has a limitless, fervent zeal to glorify himself in the lives of his people. And in the context, it's, it's the context of his jealousy. His, the, the context is the, his relationship to his people. And so here's the first vivid picture about our God who is jealous from the scriptures. Here's the first picture. The first vivid picture is this. A loving husband zealous for his exclusive relationship with his wife. Vivid picture number one about God's jealousy. A loving husband, zealous for his exclusive relationship with his wife. You could flip it around and say, a loving wife, zealous for her exclusive relationship with her husband as well. God doesn't mince words when he talks about his jealousy. He doesn't sugarcoat anything. He speaks the truth. In Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel, chapters 39 and chapter 16, in those chapters we find some of the most gripping and devastating words about the jealousy of God and his people's sins. We won't turn to that text, but another one in relation to it in just a moment. But what does he depict there? He depicts them, his people, as adulterous wives who misplace their love. And what do they do? Rather than loving their husband with devotion, affection, sacrifice, and and care, they give their devotions to something else, to someone else, to idols, and the text says to strong men, which would provoke jealousy and maybe even the fury of any husband, wouldn't it? If you were to find out that your wife was flirting with others or your husband were flirting with others, what would that provoke in you but jealousy? And that's exactly how God describes his emotions and his affections toward his people, Israel in particular. Ezekiel's vivid images come straight from Exodus And God's warning to them before they came into the land of Canaan. Turn over to Exodus chapter 20 with me. Exodus chapter 20. You recall as you're turning there that Israel's woes and their pain and their suffering is is usually traced directly back to their ignoring God's warnings. Don't do this. Don't associate with the nations who are evil, who worship false gods, who sacrifice their children to false gods and burn them on altars. Don't don't befriend them. Don't become like them. And what do they do? They did exactly what he warned them not to do. Chapter 20, verse 5. This is in the context of the Ten Commandments. God is telling them, Live like this. This is how you're going to live with me, a holy God, a righteous God. 
And if you do, it'll go well for you. This is how unholy man is to dwell with holy God. In chapter 5, we see this. In fact, sorry, verse 5. Start in verse 4. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath it. Don't try and depict me with gold or silver or wood. Don't try and do that. That's not who I am. What did they do? They made a golden what? Calf. I mean, it's like... They completely forgot. They disregarded everything that God had told them. Verse 5, You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I am the Lord your God. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me. Our sin follows us. If we're going to live in sin and disregard God's word and his commands, It should be no surprise that our lives are going to be chaotic. That sin seems to have a foothold in our lives. And that's exactly what happens to Israel. Turn over to chapter 34. In the context of God's commands, remember what he's just said to them. As he's delivered them from Egypt. He's he's shown them his might and his power. And now, what is he going to do? He's going to take them into the promised land. He says, I'm going to show the world what I'm about to do. I'm going to display my power to the nations by bringing you into this land, by defeating them myself. And if you'll walk with me in obedience, you'll be blessed. You'll be, if you'll obey, you'll be righteous. I will will love you and cause you to walk in righteousness. But you remember, you remember what happens, right? The Israelites They rebel, they sin, they walk in foolish disobedience. And God has to make new tablets with the commandments. And he reestablishes his covenant at Mount Sinai with the people through Moses. In chapter 34, verses 14 to 16, he says this. Uh, Sorry, starting in verse 12. Take care lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, right, to which you go. He's about to take them into the, to the, the promised land. Don't make a covenant with them. Don't link up with them. Don't yoke yourselves to them. Because they're evil. They hate me. They hate my word. But what should you do? Verse 13, you shall tear down their altars. You're going to, they're going to be defeated. And when you go into the land, you're going to see their pillars that they've put up in worship of their gods. You're going to tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their ashram, these poles of, of worship to false gods. Listen to this. For you shall worship no other god for the Lord, Yahweh, whose name is jealous, his name is jealous, is a jealous God. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, which they did. And when you whore after their gods, which they did, and sacrifice to their gods, which they did, and you are invited, you eat of his sacrifice, and you take of their daughters for your sons, or their sons for your husbands, and their daughters whore after their gods and make your sons whore after their gods. This is a nice Sunday school lesson, isn't it? This is serious language. 
God's jealously, jealousy, his limitless zeal to glorify himself in the lives of his people, it stems from his covenant, keeping love toward us, toward his people. Israel was to be bound to him, like what? As a bride to her husband. And a husband's exclusive love for his wife and hers for him is beautiful, isn't it? This is what Yahweh wanted with his people. If you will be faithful, I will be faithful. But they broke his covenant, didn't they? So what does God have to do? He has to remind them, look, you didn't actually make the covenant with me. I set the terms of the covenant. Chris Dwyer was teaching our junior hires about this on Thursday night. God makes the covenant. He sets the obligations and the rules, so he must reestablish the covenant. And he is bound to be faithful to it because his people are unfaithful. But faithfulness is beautiful, isn't it? This is not an evil, irrational, malicious, bitter envy. This is a beautiful jealousy. Listen to this description of this jealousy. Listen closely. This is one of the most profound things that I have come across in my study on this text and on this topic. Listen to this. This jealousy, listen up, is an ardent desire to maintain exclusive devotion within a relationship in the face of a challenge to that exclusive devotion. In other words, adultery. Jealousy, as the Bible defines it, does not describe the raging, mad, jealous husband, the lunatic who is unjustifiably suspicious and beats his wife as a result. No, no, no. No, jealousy, listen, describes something more like the husband who so loves and cares for his wife and is so devoted to the commitment reflected in the promises they made on their wedding day that he seeks to earnestly draw his wife back to himself should she be flirting with adultery. No one would look at that husband and think he is crazy for lovingly insisting on marital fidelity, the type that should always be present whenever two individuals have entered into a binding covenant with one another. No one would ever question a husband who says, I'm jealous for my wife's devotion, who has gone, off, gone after another love. I want her back, and I'm going after her. That's the best thing in the world, isn't it? One author has said, God has a claim on our worship and supreme love as a spouse does toward their spouse's love. Why? Because of the commitment that they made. Just as God had a commitment to the people of Israel to be faithful to them. And he warned them, if you go after these gods, it will be hard, it will be painful, it will hurt, but I will be faithful. And he was. What things or habits or people in your life hinder your relationship with God right now? Maybe you have an application or an illustration in your own family. If you're married, think about your relationship to your spouse. If you're a child, 
Think about your relationship to your siblings or to your parents. If you're a single, think about your relationship to your friends or your boss. And there are things that are breaking up the unity of your friendships, your relationships. What is it that's hindering your friendship with God? Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. God yearns jealously for your heart. He's given you his spirit to walk in his ways. And he is lovingly jealous for your affections to guard you and to keep you from the soul-destroying sins that would seek to lead you away from your beloved. To get the picture. Vivid picture number two of God's jealousy. A fierce warrior rushing into battle. This is God's jealousy. Isaiah chapter 42 verse 14 says this, The Lord goes out, the Lord goes out like a mighty man. Like a man of war, he stirs up his jealousy or his zeal. He cries out, he shouts aloud, he shows himself mighty against his foes. Why would God be a mighty warrior in his jealousy? Well, when God acts as a warrior for his people in the life of of the Israelites, it's to defend his glory, it's to defend his name. God is jealous for his name because his name is jealous. This is a, a military picture that we find all over the scriptures and is a picture of the Lord triumphing over his foes. And this is Jesus as well, isn't it? Jesus is coming again in his glory, jealous for what is his, to take his bride to be with him and to judge the nations for their rebellion against him. Friend, Jesus is coming again and he is jealous for your worship. He is jealous that you would know him and love him. He's jealous, get this, that you would come to him and you would lay your burdens on him. He's jealous to take your burdens so that he gets glory as the one who can bear your burdens, relieve the weight of your sin, and give you peace. He is jealous to display his peace in your heart if you would leave your sin and come to him. Don't Refuse Christ another day. Confess your sin. Come to him who will give you rest. He is jealous to do just that. Isaiah 59 verse 17 says, He puts on righteousness as a breastplate. He he clothes himself with these things. A helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wraps himself in jealousy as a cloak. God is serious about his glory. God's jealousy for his glory and for his people and against his enemies who seek praise and glory for themselves is untiring. If you feel weight down by your sin, it's because God is unresting in his pursuit of glory for himself in your life. That is to display, remember, his glory is, the, is, the, is his perfections that make him who he is. He wants you to know his love and his mercy, his kindness. He wants you to know his righteousness, his holiness, his wrath. He wants you to know those things and to enjoy those things in your life. And he longs 
He longs for that. He is untiring in that way. And so he will cause you to be burdened by the guilt of your sin even until you admit, Lord, I'm, I'm running from you. He is a fierce warrior. You don't want to meet this king on the battlefield one day. He is coming. Vivid picture number three. He is a consuming fire. His jealousy is described as a consuming fire. Uh, When I was consumed with jealousy for those shoes, or maybe, maybe you've known, you know, your friend got a new car and you went, oh man, I'm jealous. I'm jealous. Or they got a new whatever. They got something that you don't and you thought, man, I'm jealous. But deep down, there's, there's really a, a discontentment that is there. A craving after something that someone else possesses. Sometimes that feels like a fire, doesn't it? There's a burning inside of you that wants what's not yours so that you can have it for yourself. You want the honor. You don't just want the thing, but you want the honor and the praise that's associated with having the thing. What if we were to place, replace the word jealousy when we say, I'm jealous for that. I'm struggling with jealousy. With the phrase, give me the glory. I want the praise. I want the honor. That's really what we're saying, isn't it? makes it sound pretty nasty and that's really what jealousy in our sinful hearts are but that's exactly what we want isn't it it is this response that shows us that we don't understand honor we want it for ourselves we're jealous for ourselves and that's the exact response in us that god despises and yet in him it's a perfection and it is a burning fire because our god whose name is jealous is a God who wants worship for himself. And that desire for his worship is like a flame that will not be quenched. He is constantly fueling the flame of his jealousy. By his desire to display himself to his people. Fire like, like these desires consumes, doesn't it? God is jealous for himself. What consumes you? What are you consumed by? What are you, uh, what is it that you want for yourself? This is the fire of God's jealousy. God's jealousy even enrages him to consume his enemies at times. Deuteronomy 4.24 says this, The Lord your God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. Listen to what one author says about this fire of God's jealousy. Divine jealousy also manifests itself in God's zeal for the salvation of his people. What is this flame of his jealousy? It's not only as, a, as judgment, but it's even for his own people, a passion for his people. Divine jealousy also manifests itself in God's God's zeal for the salvation of his people. Isaiah 59, verse 17. We we hear that the, the zeal of the Lord of hosts guaranteed their deliverance and enjoyment of the everlasting kingdom. 
God has willed to exercise his jealousy for his holy name in the manifestation of his glory in Christ with the destruction of his enemies and the redemption of a people who will return his zealous love for them with the love of all-consuming zeal. Turn to Titus chapter 2 with me quickly. Titus chapter 2. It's in the New Testament if you're not familiar with your Bible. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus. Titus chapter 2. Says this about those who are zealous for his return with an all-consuming zeal. He says that his people are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are jealous or zealous for good works. Why would we be jealous or zealous for good works? Because our good works are meant to put God's saving work on display for the world. How is the world to know that we're his disciples? You remember what Jesus said? They're to see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Is that our passion? Is that, our, is that the flame in us? Is that our desire in us? If it's not, friend, if that's not our desire, we need, to, we need to ask God, we need to repent of being consumed by other things. Our careers, our accomplishments, our building our houses, whatever it is, our next vacation that is so consuming us that we forget that we exist for the glory of God and that Jesus is coming again to take us to be with himself. All of those things could be taken away in an instant, but Jesus is coming again. Are you longing for his appearing? Are we longing for his appearing, friends? Does the world know that we long for his appearing? Or when they look at our lives, when they look at what we're investing in, what we are impassioned by, would that thought be a million miles from their mind? That we love the Lord, that we're passionate for him, that we're living for him. God's jealousy is a consuming fire. He's passionate for his glory. There's some helpful application for us in light of this attribute of God. His jealousy, his longing for his glory in our lives, that we would know him and that we would love to live holy lives, helping each other in that way. Joel Beakey wrote a helpful book, I think I mentioned it earlier, called None Else. And he gives three helpful applications, and I'm just going to share them with you. Here's the first one. And they stem from James chapter 3. And if you would turn there with me, we'll conclude our time by looking at this, the references in this text about application toward jealousy in our lives. James chapter 3. And we'll look at verses 14 to 16 again. But here's the first application for us. Here's the first thing for us to consider. First, if you're taking notes, we must repent of ungodly desires and pursuits. We need to repent of ungodly desires and pursuits. 
James points out a problem that can affect any church. Pursuits. James points out a problem that can affect our church, GCBC, Gold Country Baptist Church. Look at James chapter 3, verse 1. Sorry, chapter 4, verse 1. He says this, What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? This is Biblical Counseling 101. When there's conflicts and fights in our lives, it's because we have conflicting passions in our hearts, in our relationships. If we have quarrels and fights in our homes, in our relationships, it's because we have passions that wage war inside of us. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Where do they come? They come, these, these passions come from within. Beaky says churches and families have been destroyed by unchecked lusts and the sins that find fertile soil in them. Infighting, covetousness, and friendship with the world, then driven by the intensity of God's holy, burning jealousy over his people, comes the charge. Verse 14, or sorry, verse 4, look at what he says. You adulterous people, James 4, 4. You adulterous people. And then James asks in verse 5, Do you not think that the scripture says for no reason the spirit, that he yearns jealously over the spirit that he is, that dwells within you? Brothers and sisters, this is a forceful wake-up call. heated with God's jealousy that calls us to turn away from the heart corruptions of, of worldliness and turn to God in love. Here's the second application. So the first one is that we need to repent of ungodly desires and pursuits. But the second, in light of God's jealousy for his glory and, and for our holy lives, is this. Second, we must pursue holiness and humility. Holiness and humility. James gives a positive direction for us to go and coupled with the call to repent from worldliness. Verse, uh, James chapter 4, verse 6, he says this. Look at, look at the text. He says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Are we proud? Are we, are we turning from our pride and our arrogance and turning to him in humility? Realizing the intensity of God's holy jealousy over our worship, over our lives, our affections, our choices, our our decisions. When we make decisions, are we consulting godly counselors and wisdom from his word? Knowing that God is jealous for our affection and our lives. Look at verse 10. He says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Brothers and sisters, if we will humble ourselves before the Lord, he will meet us in our humility and he will help us. He will give us more of himself and he will cause us to love the things that he loves and hate the things that he hates in our lives. Here's a third application. We must strive for unity with fellow believers. We have to strive for it. We have to strive for this. Because in the context of James's wake-up call to repentance, what's, what's the context? 
wars and fightings among you. Among you. Verse 11. Look at what it says. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. There's wars and fightings among you and believers that that speak evil of one another. There's a dangerous place to be. We have to fight for unity. Are you speaking evil of other people in your life, your family or your friends or your elders or your coworkers? Humble yourselves, James says. Do not speak evil against one another, especially in the family of God. What does it do? It severs. It, it causes a, a crack of disunity down the middle. And the world will look in and say, Psh, look, a bunch of hypocrites, right? They say that all of the time. I don't want to give them any reason for that. God's burning jealousy, Beaky says, is kindled against us not only when we fail to love him, but also when we mistreat and fail to love one another because of our worldly desires. Are there worldly desires that are causing you to speak evil against others in this church? And against those that you've covenanted with? to watch over them in love, uh, to, to maintain the unity of our family for the glory of God? If there is, James commands you by the authority of God, do not speak evil against one another. Do not do it. God's committed to his worship and his honor that's good news for us, friends. That God is a jealous God is good news because what is he jealous to give us? Himself. He's eager and jealous to give us himself and to glorify himself in our family, in our church, in our community, and in our individual families and our relationships. Isn't that what we want? We want God to be glorified in our lives. Let's pray for that. Heavenly Father, as we meditate on what your word says about your jealousy to glorify yourself in the lives of your people, we ask for humble and and lowly hearts. Pray that you would move us from from me-centered ways of thinking, man-centered ways of thinking and feeling to have God-centered hearts that consider it our greatest joy and goal to be your glory. Lord, that's what we want. That's what we need. And we confess that it's often not. Lord, help us to abandon all of our idols. Help us to to not see those who you've put in our families, our church family of believers as those who are out to rob us of joy, but as we love one another, as we seek unity, that we're really wanting to help each other live lives of humble, holy, submissive fear of you. Lord, turn to us and be gracious to us. Lead us in your truth in these things, we pray, for Christ's sake. Amen.